0: The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. Let me just start by saying thank you. Um, Thank you to all of you who have helped us bring Beckett home. Um, Yeah. see him up there in his little NICU graduate shirt. Uh, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for the love offering, for food, for cards, for notes, for text messages, for emails, for phone calls, for comments. For, I, mean, it's just thank, I, I don't understand how anybody could go through something like this without a church. Um, uh, so if if you don't if you don't know um, me or what's going on, uh, my name's Blake. I'm the student pastor here. Uh, and this Wednesday, we brought our son Matthew Beckett, goes by Beckett home after 63 days in the NICU. Um, and I just so if, if you don't know, I kind of want to tell the story, um, and I'm I'm already feel it coming. So bear with me. Uh, I tried to practice telling this so I could get through it without too much of a, of a show, okay, but Beckett was born on, on June 30th, and uh, it was a, a normal, so to speak, birth, uh, and we were there, we're in Rockdale Hospital, and come July 1st, and we are about uh, one hour away from being sent home. They wanted to check one more thing out with Jamie, and then we were, we were going to be discharged, sent home, uh, and Jamie is, is working with the lactation consultant there. And she says, hey, uh, he, he looks like he might just be breathing just, just a little quick. Let me, I, I want to go get the nurse to check this out. And so uh, she goes and she gets the nurse. And the nurse says, yeah, I, I hadn't seen that before. He, he does kind of look like he's, he's breathing a little quick. Uh, we we want to take him to this room over here. And we're just going to watch him for a little bit. And we say, okay. It didn't really seem like... It, to an untrained eye, we didn't notice anything. And we've had a baby before, so we're pros, right? And so it, we, didn't, we didn't notice anything. Uh, and so they come back about 30 minutes later and say, hey, uh, he was breathing a little quick. We were kind of timing it. We're going to kind of send him to the NICU just for some observation for a little bit. And so at this point, it's, it's about 5 p.m. And we're, we haven't slept really in about 36 hours. And so we're thinking, hey, maybe we'll get a nap. Uh, but that doesn't happen. more doctors come in to, as, as it always happens in the hospital. We ate dinner. We couldn't go over there until 7.30. And so we, at 7.30 hits, and, and we're walking across the hallway to, to see him in the NICU to see how the observation is going um, they, they let us in the door and as soon as we walk through the door um, a nurse comes to us and says hey you can't come back here yet um, the, the nurse practitioner wants to talk to you first um, and so that's kind of red flag that flew up in our face and so we say okay the, the nurse practitioner kind of runs fast walks, runs around the corner and says hey let's go talk in this office right here um, an- I'm feeling it. Uh, Another hard thing. Um, And we walk in there, and she says to Jamie, she says, I want you to sit down because I don't want you to faint. Um, And so at that point, she sits us down, and she says, um, Beckett has uh, sepsis, and he has meningitis, and he's having seizures. Uh, He went... He went apneic, he quit breathing quite a few times. Uh, we have got him on the ventilator, but we're still doing a whole lot of stuff. She said, really, I don't really have time to be in here right now, so, so this is what's going on. Um, you can stay in here, but I've, I've got to get back to the bedside. Um, and, and as she was leaving, she said, she looked at us and um, she said, I don't know if you're praying people or not, but he's on the other side of the door, and now would be a really good time to start praying, <laughs> And I, at that point, um, I heard Jamie make a noise that I've only ever heard one other time in my life, which is when I had to go with someone to tell them that their, their son and granddaughter had just died in a car wreck. And that was the only other time I've heard the noise that, that Jamie made. Um, and so we were in there for about three hours in that little office, um, crying together, praying together. And about three and a half hours later, they came and, and got us. Uh, and said, "You you can come see him now." Uh, and so we saw his his little body there, um, eyes closed, on, on a ventilator, um, needing help to breathe. Um, and but he was at that point um, at least at least he he was breathing at that point. And it was about ten thirty, eleven o'clock at night. And I mean, the the question. Jamie asked like anyone would um is okay so you've got him on this it's it's okay now right and all all she would say to us was um your, your baby's very sick I can't tell you anything other than that just your baby's very sick and for about three days even though everyone told us you know God's got it we were um we were pretty certain he wasn't gonna make it like that was just the fear that we felt um and it felt real, but <laughs> as as you see, um, he he did make it. Uh, they actually the, the the doctor told us about two weeks later. He said, "Y'all y'all hit the lottery." He said, "If if if you would have gone home, if if this would have happened five minutes after you went home, he he wouldn't have made it." Uh, but. Um, Because you were still here, and I know it wasn't the lottery. I know it wasn't coincidence. Like I know it was. It was. It was God watching out for us. Um. And so that began a a nine week journey um, where it was a roller coaster. It was a a lot of of ups and downs. Because they would get the seizures under control, and then uh, the seizures would come back. uh, He would look like he was getting better, and then it would get a little bit worse. And they told us that's what's going to happen. Um, But no matter how many times someone tells you that, you're not ready to feel it all. Uh, And and we were hitting the the 21-day mark at Rockdale, which is kind of what they said first. You know, it was going to be 21 days and I remember we, that first week, we were walking to the, back to the hospital in the NICU and turned to Jamie, and I was like, how in the world are we going to do this for 21 days? <laughs> Not, 21 days was nothing. Uh, but uh, as, as, as we were hitting near that, they did uh, another MRI, and uh, they had noticed that there was now... Uh, quite a bit of, of swelling in, not quite a bit, a little bit of swelling in the ventricles. And they said, so th- he has a ven- this thing called ventriculitis, uh, which I looked up, which I should not have done um, because I, I, I read, I didn't Google it. I did like scientific research. I had friends who were nurses and doctors. I texted them and said, I need, I need you to get onto your journal database and and send me everything having to do with Proteus meningitis and complications afterwards which was a very bad idea uh, because they sent me stuff and I read it all and so ventriculitis is considered a neurological complication following meningitis and, and what I read in quite a few studies was somewhere around 30% of babies that have neurological complications with meningitis die I didn't tell Jamie that if she, I, I didn't tell her that I read that I was reading it, she wasn't uh, and so that, I had people telling me, you know, hey, it's going to be okay. And I'm in my head, I'm thinking, thirty percent. Like that's, that's a big number. If, if you told me I had a thirty percent chance to play to win the lottery, I'd play it every time, right? Thirty percent's a, a big number. Uh, and so again, that that fear comes back. Um, and, and at this point, they transfer us to Scottish, right? And so we are at Scottish Rite Children's Hospital, and, and we get there, and they do all their tests, and they're saying, okay, it's going to be another, at least another three weeks that, that you're up here. And he had, a, he had a spot in his brain that they had, originally there had been a lot of, of back and forth confusion of, um, is it an abscess, which is an infection, or is it um, almost like he had a stroke, uh, and the... the The thought was it it, it was a stroke and so that was scarring on the brain and they get there and they're arguing back and forth about that too. They're not really sure what it is and they say, oh, but hopefully antibiotics it'll it'll kind of show us Uh, and over the next three weeks uh, Beckett appears to be looking better, uh, but all of his numbers and tests show the opposite. Uh, So he's kind of looking better, which uh, as someone said to me and I agreed with like, I'm glad it was that way. I'm glad it wasn't he was looking way worse. Um, He he was looking better, but his his numbers kept showing that he wasn't getting better, and along this whole time, I say we were moving forward towards health, but there's all these speed bumps we kept hitting in the way, like um, his, his liver enzymes got all messed up because of one of the medicine seizure medications, so they stopped that seizure medication, which isn't what they like to do. They like to wean you off of it because his liver was so messed up by it, they had to just stop him. Uh, And so then his seizures returned again, and then you have to find uh, the new balance of seizure medications. And then the other seizure medication was giving him high blood pressure, which they were worried was messing with his kidneys. So they had to do all these tests on his kidneys, but instead it was just the medication giving him high blood pressure. And so they're working through all this stuff. Uh, They were worried about his, his hormones were off, so they had to check his thyroid and his pituitary gland, and they got that kind of figured out. And so Uh, All this time, we're we're moving forward towards health, uh, but kind of little speed, we just call them speed bumps along the way, uh, until finally they get to the point where, I think we're at like week seven. I think we're in like week seven. And they finally say, "Uh, we don't think this is a stroke. We think this is actually an infection inside of his brain. And so we are going to do surgery. Uh, I mean... And they say, hopefully it'll just be a small incision. I'm thinking, yes, it's a small thing that you're cutting into our six-week, seven-week-old's brain. That doesn't feel small to us. Uh, and so, um, but, but praise the Lord, uh, because they told us, they said, the surgeon, he said, I don't know I won't know until I get there. Um, hopefully I can just do this little small incision and get the needle in there and pull it all out and that'll be good. If not, then he had, they had drawn this big blue, Outline on his skull, and they said, "If not, we're gonna cut right here, take this part of the skull off, uh, go in, remove it, and then put the skull back on." And obviously, yeah, mean, you just you hear that, and you're terrified again. Uh, and but praise. Praise God, uh, the the small little incision worked. Um, there's, if you go and look at our Facebook, there's a little picture of the little scar. It's only, uh, it's got stitches, it's only about that big. Uh, and then they said, we're going to do another test and maybe he'll get to go home after that. So they do another test and like, oh, no, nope, you're not going to get home yet. Two more weeks, uh, but then after two more weeks. Uh, and honestly, we were very grateful for that two more weeks because... Uh, We got to watch him get better and then watch numbers get better. And so as we brought him home on Wednesday, uh, we were able to have a lot less fear and a lot more confidence that we could actually do this and take care of him. And so praise God, as of Wednesday, he is now home. And so just, just so you know, he's doing great. Uh, he takes this medicine like a champ. Uh, and he's, he's eating good. He's sleeping good. Uh, he'll have follow-ups with neurology for a, a long, at least a couple years. He's going to have physical therapy until he doesn't need it. Hopefully until he doesn't need it. Uh, and any other thing that pops up, uh, they'll tell us as we go, I guess. But uh, we are so grateful to, to all of you uh, for your prayers um, for uh, for how you have loved us and how you have cared for us, uh, and I, I wanted to share uh, with you from a, a passage from Habakkuk um, so Quite quite a few people s- sent us scripture during this, and uh, a, a friend of mine, a, a co-laborer in ministry, uh, Bill. If you watched in this later, I love you and I appreciate you. Sent me a handwritten note. You didn't you didn't know people still did that, did you? Uh, he sent me a, a little handwritten note, and and in that note he had he had written out um, Habakkuk chapter 3, 17 and eighteen. And so I, I kind of wanted to to share with you um, Habakkuk chapter three verses sixteen through nineteen. This morning and, and kind of how it spoke to me and I, and I believe it can be an encouragement to you because I know I know that we are not the first family to have gone through something like this. We won't be the last family to have gone through something like this. I know many people don't get the outcome that, that we got uh, that... Uh, we we are feel so blessed and fortunate that we hit the lottery that that God was watching out for us and that that we were still in the hospital when all of this started. Uh, but I I know during this time this has been uh, an an extremely stressful moment in history for a lot of us. Uh, that, that there are so many in this room who uh, you maybe have, have lost a loved one uh, during this COVID pandemic. Not even related to COVID, but because of COVID you couldn't have the funeral. You couldn't have the closure. You couldn't uh, honor and grieve like you would have wanted to and, and needed to. That there's, there's people in here who, who you've, you've lost jobs because of COVID or you've lost income because of COVID. Uh, you have... Uh, had to watch your children miss out on memories. Uh, you have maybe been sick yourself or known somebody who was sick. Uh, there's, there's just a whole lot of, of stressful situations going on right now. And, and, I, and I believe and know that, that God's word uh, can speak to us in these moments. And so if, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Habakkuk, because I know we don't go to the minor prophets a lot, um, Habakkuk is one of the minor prophets and it was uh, written a little bit differently uh, because uh, Habakkuk isn't necessarily... Habakkuk writing to the people, but we are watching a conversation between Habakkuk and God, where Habakkuk is praying to God, and then God is responding to Habakkuk. And during this time, we're kind of right in between the two exiles. That that northern Israel has already been uh, conquered by Assyria, and southern kingdom Judah, which is what Habakkuk is writing to for to read Uh, They are kind of in the middle of their being conquered by Babylon. At this point, they're they're kind of a a proxy state for Babylon. uh, But uh, eventually, pretty soon, they are about to come and wipe out Jerusalem and and really take over. And that's part of what Habakkuk's prophecy is. And and so, similar to Job, it's this conversation. And then also similar to Job, uh, that he's really wrestling with uh, justice. Like, God, why are you allowing this to happen? God, God, why is this taking place? It doesn't seem fair, it doesn't seem right. Why would this very sinful, terrible nation, Babylon, why would you be using to judge? Why would you be using them to judge us, Judah? Sure, we're sinful and bad, too, but we're nothing compared to Babylon. It doesn't seem fair, it doesn't seem right. God, why in the world is this happening? And that's a question that I can relate to. And, and I'm sure many in here can relate to you right now, like, God, why is this happening? And then you get to, to the last part uh, of this section, of this book, and uh, Habakkuk kind of writes this, this psalm to God. And we're going we're gonna to read the last verse, the last stanza of this psalm. So this is uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 through 19. I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food. Though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls. Yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. And this was for the choir director on stringed instruments. I think uh, Habakkuk understood what it felt like to be to be running on empty. Uh, I think how a lot of us have, have felt during this time, uh, where we're just kind of running on empty. That uh, I I'll speak for myself, where it really felt like moment by moment, God was giving me the strength for that moment. That that it was it was that E was on the whole time, but it, it never went below that because God was giving me the strength for that moment. And as, as I read these verses, um, there's, there's no doubt about it that I, I understand they comprehend these verses on a level that I would have, have never understood and comprehended two months ago. Because um, to, to be honest, um, I've, I've had a fairly easy life. I would not say that my life has been filled with adversity. Now, I, I remember one time in high school, I went to a, a huge church camp and I was in a small group, and it was with high school students from all over the South, and we're, we're together, and there's this time where, where people were all sharing uh, like all this, this hard stuff that had been going on in their lives. Like things, things ranging from uh, abuse of all kinds, childhood, cancer, uh, like traumatic divorce experience from their parents, uh, really death of friends, like all this really hard things to go through at any stage of your life and especially as a teenager. And, and I remember I went home and I told my mom, I said, she was talking about camp, how was camp? I said, well, I didn't have anything to talk about because my life's been too easy. Like no, nothing bad has, has happened. And she said, I'm sorry, son, for giving you a good life. And I said, it's okay. I forgive you, but we're going to try to get better from this. Okay. And I, I, I've, I've, I've had, I would not describe my life as, as filled with adversity, but but now I, I read these verses and I, and I feel them. That, that I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. You've heard my lips quivering many times already today. That, that I felt the rottenness into my bones when she said, you need to sit down so you don't faint. When she said, uh, if you're a praying people, you should really start praying. <laughs> like, I, I've, I've felt the the destitution of the field around me where you look around and it's like everything is barren, everything is empty. And I know I just said thank you for, for how much you've loved us and how you cared for us, how you took, how you took care of us. But to be honest, like you, you don't see all of that when, when the question in your mind is, is, is my son going to make it? You don't, you don't see that in the moment. All, all you see is is barrenness is is destitution is there's there's no fruit there's no crops there's there's no animals anywhere that I I know and I feel and I understand that that life is hard that that life is is hard for for all of us and right now life is hard that that whether it's, it's, this is a pick your poison kind of era right now. Uh, whether you're, you're, we're dealing with an election with, with COVID-19, with the financial struggles that come with COVID-19, uh, with racial unrest, with, with riots, with, um, any, with People, teenagers are getting acne now because they're wearing masks on their face, right? You, there's, a, there's a whole new level of stress and anxiety there. Your face itches all the time because you're wearing a mask. Like this, this is just a, a stressful, life is hard type moment. And nowhere in the Bible does it say that, that if you follow God, life is going to be easy. No, no, nowhere does it say follow Jesus and things will be good. It doesn't even say follow God, love Jesus, and life will be fair. It doesn't. It, ne- it never says that. That if if somebody tries to tell you that that following God, choosing to follow God, that having faith in God is going to make your life easy, then they are a liar who is trying to sell you something. That's not in the Bible. In fact, uh, even Jesus' life was hard. What Jesus says in Luke, uh, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And let's not forget about the fact that, that Jesus was, was crucified on the cross for our sins, that, that even Jesus' life was hard that that Paul was imprisoned multiple times. He was shipwrecked multiple times. He was uh, a, there was attempted murders on his life multiple times, uh, and it, he dies at the hands of the Roman government. I think of of Daniel who was taken into exile and he was thrown into a lion's den. Joseph who was sold into slavery by his brothers and then falsely imprisoned. I think of of Abraham who was who was given the promise but then had to wait for forever and then was told you need to sacrifice your son and he was willing to do it. I think of Tertullian who said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church of Corey Ten Boom who was in the Nazi concentration camp of of Jim Elliot who who was killed, murdered as, as a missionary like following God following Jesus it doesn't guarantee easy or safe or nice. Life is hard. Even for the Christ followers. So, so what do we do? And, and Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 4 is kind of the central verse of Habakkuk. And it gives us the answer. It talks about um, a person at first and says, Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. But the righteous one will live by his faith. That The, the righteous live by Faith. Hebrews tells us that faith is the reality, what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. We must live many times, many times, not by what we see, but by what we know and by what we believe. It's, it's not about what we see, but it's about what we know and what we believe. Like, like I said a, a second ago, when you're in the midst of the rottenness, when you're in the midst of, of the destitution, when you're in the midst of there's no fruit anywhere around you, that's, that's all you see, that's all you feel. When, when you don't know if you're going to have a job, when you don't know if your son is going to make it, when you don't know if, if that person is going to die from COVID, when you don't know if you're going to be able to have a funeral, when you, when you just don't know. when when you're having panic attacks, when you are uh, depressed and you are having suicidal thoughts, when when you're in those moments, it has to be about what you know and you believe, not about what you can see in that moment. Because then you can look back and see how God was working and with you. But in the moment, you don't see it. It's it's kind of like so I I tell students this and hopefully you, you told your children this this growing up that, that you have to make the types those decisions. You have to make the decision that I'm going to have faith in the hard times before you get to the hard times. Similar to you have to you have to uh, make your decision about certain temptations before you get into those temptations. Okay, so like this and this is what you should have you should tell your children, right? You don't make the decision of how far you are going to go with a girl when you're with the girl in the backseat of a car. Okay, that is a, a terrible time to making that decision. You don't wait to decide if you are going to, to drink or not when you are offered alcohol at a party for the very first time. That is a, a bad time to be making that decision because you need to be you want to be clear headed when you're making decisions like that. You want uh, reason and, and logic and faith to make those decisions, not uh, emotions and hormones and peer pressure, and so you have to make that decision before you get into the situation and so we have to to make the decision that i 'm going to to have faith in God no matter what before we get to that point of i can 't see anything. All I can see is, is barrenness. All I feel is the rottenness. Because if we wait until we're in that decision to decide if I'm going to have faith in God or not, it's, it's too late for that. Yeah. You're not going to be able to, to see, and then you're not going to have what you believe and know to rely on. So I think all of this probably naturally leads us to, to one question. One question. Which is, okay, so if life is hard and we're supposed to have faith, but if we have faith and life is still hard, why, why are we having faith? Why why, why have faith? And there's, there's a lot of answers, I think, to that question, but we're going to focus on the two that, that Habakkuk gives us, okay? So Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 18 says, Yet goes through the bad stuff, yet I will celebrate in the Lord, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. That that we have faith because of what God has done in our lives, not because of what's going on in our circumstances. That, That we point back to what Jesus has done, that Jesus... Philippians chapter 2, that Jesus, who existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. That God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins so that we could have a relationship with him. So that even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That even in the midst of our terribleness, Jesus died for us so that we could be saved, so that we could know the creator who created us, so that we could have a relationship with God. That we have faith because of what Jesus has done for us. And no matter how bad life gets, no matter how bad life gets, nothing is as bad as, as that is good. That no, no matter how bad life gets, nothing is as bad as that is good. That, Jesus, that God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins so that you could have a relationship with the God who created you. And I 100% believe that. No matter how bad it gets, I, I, I know that. That's That's a foundation. We, we not only have faith because of what God has done, but we have faith because of God, what God will do. So we don't look at our circumstances. We look at what God will do. This is uh, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 16. Okay, that, that last part of that verse. He says, Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. That, that Habakkuk knew that God was going to have justice. Habakkuk knew that God was going to win. God, he knew that God was going to make it right. I know that in the future, no matter what I'm going through right now, no matter what the circumstances are right now, I know that God is going to make everything right. That, that there is going to be no more pain, no more sorrow. That, that God is going to defeat the enemy sin. And when he defeats the enemy's sin, he defeats death, he defeats pain, he defeats sorrow, he defeats Satan, he defeats it all. This is what uh, John tells us in Revelation, uh, the, the apocalypse that he heard. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I'm making everything new. And he said, write because these words are faithful and true. Paul refers to this time as, as the, the completion of our salvation, this new heaven, this new earth, this resurrection that we get to experience, the the completion of our salvation, that, that the work that God began in us when he saved us is brought to completion when we are in our new bodies and we get to worship God with God. And I know that he is going to make everything right, everything good, everything how it was supposed to be. And so every time my eyes become focused on my, on my circumstances, every time my eyes became focused on my circumstances during this time, because I promise you there were times when my eyes became focused on my circumstances. That, that every time that happened, I would remind myself of these truths, that, that God has, has saved me. And that God is going to make everything right. And when I would fix my eyes on these truths, it would then bring me to fix my eyes on Jesus. And when your eyes are fixed on Jesus, uh, your, your faith is in him and it is not rocked as much by the circumstances that you are surrounded by and and, and when you're in that moment of, of fixing your eyes on Jesus, and we know even when you are not having your eyes fixed on Jesus in these moments, that it is then you can say, With with Habakkuk, the Lord, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. I don't really know if I knew what it meant. For the Lord to be my strength, three months ago, I don't, I don't, I don't think I did. I knew in my head, but I didn't know what what it what it means to to rely on Him day by day, moment by moment, because you don't know what to do. Because you, you just feel lost. You just feel like you you don't know what comes next, and you're scared of what might come next. But I know that it was only through his strength that we were able to make it through. I know it was only through his strength that we were able to bring back at home. I know it's only gonna be through his strength that we continue forward. And, and I know that it's only gonna be through his strength that we are going to, to walk in, in every aspect of our life. Because once, once you feel that, once you know that, you don't want anything else. You realize how, how weak you really are. But the Lord, the Lord is my strength. And he enables me to walk on the mountains and makes my feet like those of a deer. And I know that one of the ways God used and showed his strength to us was through our church body. If I haven't said thank you enough yet, like, I really, like, thank you. Thank, thank, thank you for, for showing to us and being to us what, what God designed the church for. To, to be his body. To, to support each other. To love each other. To, to be a family. I, Jamie and I, well, we love y'all so much. Uh, all right, so at, at this point, um, the worship team, if, if y'all want to make your way back up here, and um, I, I, I asked for, for them to, to close with, with this song, okay? And this, this is a, a song that uh, became uh, a part of the, the soundtrack for our, our drive to, to the hospital, that, that this is... Um, a, I mean, so it's it's a song that, that's personal. So I asked asked if, if they would if they would close with with this song. And so what I'm going to ask is if you know the song, sing along, worship. But if if you don't if you don't know the song, um, worship by, by reflecting on, on the truths that are in this song. Reflect on the truth that that no matter what our circumstances are, uh, Jesus is to be praised and I, I know there are some in this room who who are going through difficult, difficult circumstances right now and and maybe maybe your eyes uh, have have lost Jesus and you you've just you can only see what 's around you. I get it, I understand it you Fix your eyes on Jesus. So the, the, the altar is open if, if you would like to come pray, if you would like to pray with me and one of the other pastors. Uh, we, we would love to pray with you. Uh, may, maybe you're in here and you don't know the salvation that, that Jesus brings. And I, I can't imagine going through something like this or going through life at all without knowing uh, the hope that Jesus brings. And so maybe you're saying, I can't get through what I'm going through right now because I don't know Jesus. And I'd, I'd love to share Jesus with you of how he's my rock and he's my savior and how he can be your savior as well. But my prayer is that we would fix our eyes on Jesus, not with what's going on around us. Uh, let, I, let, me, let me close this by, I, I, I just want to pray this scripture. God, I've heard and I've trembled within My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people, to come against the sin invading us. And though the fig tree does not bud and there is no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stalls, yet I will celebrate in you, Lord I will rejoice in you, the God of my salvation. The Lord, my Lord, you are my strength. You make my feet like those of a deer and you enable me to walk on mountain heights. And God, whether we are on the mountain or the mountain is in our way, God, that we would praise you forever and ever more. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.